Welcome into another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here on IndyStar.com, IndyStar Sports. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. Afternoons, Fox Sports 1260. And the star of the show, as always, is Greg Doyle, who is taking off his windbreaker. As we, It gets a little toasty here in the lunar module vocal booth, whatever this is here that we have at the Star headquarters. I know. We really need to be uh, putting this thing on TV or whatever, so... So people can see how how humble this is. However, I I was wearing my Milan Museum windbreaker because I am proud of it, and B because I didn't want to change into a real shirt. So I'm, this is what I slept in last night. It's my Walk for ALS shirt. It's my nice. P- I'm wearing my pajamas. Is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing. Because uh, Greg, you know, full disclosure, we're taping this right now. It's Tuesday morning, and usually we're taping this around lunchtime. And, and Greg was kind enough to uh, kind of abide by my schedule and, and go a little bit earlier today. So I got no problem with you. Pop it in your PJs in here. <laughs> uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Ton of stuff, not just Colts stuff, but we always lead Colts. Yeah, but hold on, I got to take my jeans off too because I sleep in boxers. So let me just keep. <laughs> let me keep going. No, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know if the uh, the listeners are ready for that quite yet. Uh, another big win for the Colts. Division yes. win, important win. What did you think? What was your main takeaway from Sunday's thirty to twenty three victory over the Texans? Um, much bigger than one win. My main takeaway. I mean, I, I wrote about Quentin Nelson, so he's my little bitty takeaway. Um, but if I had to had to write a big picture story, and I'm gonna tell you right now, my takeaway is this: I'm not sure the sky's the limit for this team, but what can't they do at this point? Really, mm-hmm. I mean, they we have now seen that this is not just a a team that's going to survive modestly the quarterback transition. This is a team that that people trying to figure out who's the second best team in the AFC right now, and the Colts are on that list. I'm not sure they are, but they're on the list. That's crazy. But you beat KC on the road in Houston, and they manhandled Houston. That game was not as close as it appeared. No, I agree. Jacoby had one bad turnover, and it made it look closer than it was. It wasn't that they—they they were much better than Houston. No, I agree. I totally agree with that. I—I I don't think that there's anything really. We're always going to nitpick and all of that, but I don't think there's anything that that was really glaring in that performance. Like you say, okay, well, you know, even the Kansas City game, it was such a great defensive performance. The offense scoring 19 points and settling for a lot of short field goals. Maybe you can nitpick there, but I didn't really think there was a lot of stuff to nitpick about um, about Sunday's win overall and. I think what's so interesting about this team, Greg, is that not only do they keep their opponents on their toes, I feel like they're keeping me, and I don't know about you, on my toes every week because I don't know what to expect. Is this going to be a ground-and-pound game? Is this going to be an air-and-out game? And I love their versatility that we've seen so far through the first six games. Because they can do whatever they have to. They literally – you can't take away everything. You know, a defense will, will – they'll try and take away this guy, that guy, the, the air, the ground. You can, mm-hmm. But you can't take away at all. Houston took away the ground game. They loaded the box, put the, put man-to-man coverage with very little safety help on the receivers. And basically, I mean, Houston said, Jacoby Brissett, you have to beat us. And Jacoby Brissett said, I'm about to beat you. And he beat him. And that was – so people might be up concerned, well, what about the running game? I'm not concerned about the running game at all. You load the box like that, you're, the quarterback – I'd be concerned if the quarterback couldn't capitalize. But he did. So they – I mean, and if you don't load the box, we know what Marlon Mack can do. We know what that offensive line can do. The one thing we do not have to worry about this team – well, there's several things, but I'm not going to worry about Darius Leonard ever if he's healthy, and I'm never going to worry about this team being able to run the ball because if you, in, unless you sell out on the pass, or sell, I'm sorry, sell out on the road, the run, they can Marlon Mack in this offensive line. They're great. Can we definitively say now we're almost at the halfway point of the season that at the very least this is a solidly good football team? Oh gosh, it's a playoff team. Yeah, I mean I they, they got to get there, but mm-hmm. this is a no fluke. It'll be a disappointment if you don't get their playoff team. I think it might be a disappointment if they don't win the division at this point. Honestly, oh, yeah. 
I mean, Houston's good. I I, I want to give Houston credit. Deshaun Watson's really good, and that's a good team. But um, it, it's crazy because I, I guess my expectations were just really low going into this season, kind of like many others that I thought, you know, surviving the luck thing and, and Brissett's ceiling and what really was it. Um, but now you look at the slate that they have coming up here. They've got a bad Denver team coming on Sunday. You've got three out of your next four at home. I do think that game, Greg, at Pittsburgh is going to be more, way more difficult than it looks on paper. Um, but the, the other two opponents, I mean, Miami's basically a free roll at this point, and then you've got uh, and, and Jacksonville at home. I mean, you could be staring at worst seven and three in the face heading into Thanksgiving. Yeah, and that's a lot of that is because of last year's team finished behind Houston, I guess it was, in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, in the division. And so Houston's playing much better teams than the Colts are playing. So not only do the Colts have these easy games, the Texans do not. All the more reason for the Colts to take a big step ahead. This morning on ESPN, um, who was it? Ryan, I think it was Ryan Clark. They were asking, you know, for, former Steelers cornerback, Ryan Clark or safety, whatever he was, you know, who are the biggest challenges to the Patriots? First word out of his mouth was Colts. He mentioned a few others, but he said specifically the Colts, and he mentioned one of the team, I forget what it was, because they can run the ball in Foxborough in January if they have to. Mm-hmm. So that's I mean, that's just interesting. That's where six games into the year, we are now talking about, someone's talking about the Colts are a team that the Patriots might not want to see in January at home. Yeah, it's nuts. It, it really is. Uh, and those two games, by the way, for those of the, you that don't know, since the Colts finished second, they got the second place finisher in the AFC East, which miraculously was Miami last year. And then they get Pittsburgh, who normally is a tough game, but with their injury situation, maybe not as tough of a game, not a vintage Steelers team. Houston, meanwhile, has to play at Baltimore, and they play New England, who they're 1-10 all-time against. Right. So the division very well, let's say hypothetically Houston and Indy split, Greg, the division very well could be the fact that the Colts go 2-0 in those games and Houston goes 0-2. Yeah, and they're a game ahead right now, and the Titans mm-hmm. and Jaguars won't go away just yet, but they're going to go away. We all know they're going to go away. I don't think they're going to be serious contenders. Yeah. Let's talk about Brissett. Um there is this, and I know that you see it on Twitter as well, there's kind of like this either-or faction where it's people are either saying, oh, he's he's better than Luck, he's an MVP candidate, or people are on the other side saying, no, he, still, he sucks, uh, none of this is good enough for what the Colts need going forward. In reality, this is kind of a cop-out answer. I feel like he's kind of in the middle, but, um, you know, I feel like you have kind of set a baseline expectation for Brissett and not gone too over. I feel like you've remained really even-keeled about Jacoby. Yeah, well, Jacoby is he's good enough to to be a playoff quarterback. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, anything can happen. We've seen that. Anything can happen. So he, what he's not is, are people actually saying he's better than Luck? Are people saying that? People are saying that he's got a an it factor that Luck didn't have. You, you know, no. Greg, it, it's the same thing. When, when Luck first started here and had early success – there was this talk that oh well see he's he's better than Manning because he leads the the team in the fourth quarter and Manning wilted in the fourth, you know fans just say stuff I think I I don't think that any of that I don't know if people truly believe that but you do see that in some circles he's the, the, the it, I mean this is the hot take society so that's what we do and Lord knows I did it for years at CBS and every now and then I do it for the Star too I suppose but what he is is he's a quarterback that's probably somewhere between ten and fifteen in the NFL. And if you've got talent around you and your quarterback is somewhere between 10 and 15, you can go a long, long way. Uh, what you can't do is if you're 10 or 15 in the league and you've got the 2014 Colts roster around you, you can't win 11 games like Luck did. But mm-hmm. Luck's not a 10 to 15 talent. He's a – I mean, I've said this before to you. He's a borderline. It'll never happen. But he he was a borderline Hall of Fame talent. And there's no question about that. To, to, yeah. to dispute that would just be to be mad at him to be retired. And to say, yeah, we threw intercept, whatever. Borderline Hall of Fame talent. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. 
and Jacoby's not, but he's damn near uh, good enough to win as many games as you want to win and then get late in December, and I'm sorry, late in January and see what happens. Yeah, even if he's not a Ferrari, a Toyota Camry's just fine. I drive. I'm cool with a Camry. Maybe we right? like him because, right, I don't know, what do you drive? <laughs> I drive a 12-year-old Hyundai Sonata. Which I've had no problems with. It's been a great. It was actually previously my wife's car. Oh, and it's been a great car. You drive Brian Hoyer. Yeah, pretty much. See, I drive a Chevy <laughs> Cruze. I drive, and, and you know the way the the way the world works. It it just sucks so much. Chevy Cruze. They're discontinuing the Cruze. Are they really in a couple years? I didn't know that. Which I didn't know either I until I around. I thought they were pretty popular. Well, they're very popular. Yeah. So of course we're going to get rid of them. So huh. that that was a car I decided a couple years ago because I love my Cruze. I will own a Cruze the rest of my life. Only if I do what you do and have a 12-year-old cruise at some point, and I might do that. I'm Jeff Brom, man. Uh, once something's paid off, I don't care you know, what, what is changing in your life or whatever. Yeah, and I'm not trying to say that I'm making $5 million a year or whatever Brom's making, but you, you know that story of Brom still driving around in 03 Accord. Like, I'm, it's paid off. It, it gets me from point A to point B. I'm cool with it. I will tell you this, that I park at the Colts Complex. I go there at least once a week, and maybe just, just once a week. But I try to go to 56th Street, and there's media parking. Mm-hmm. And then we also kind of line the golf course. So you you see all these cars. And as guys in our market are moving up in the world and getting raises and whatever, those cars are getting better and better. Like, are, yeah. And I, I've seen some <laughs> nice cars. And I tell you, I, I'm just the opposite of most people in the world. I don't look at a guy like me in my position or any position driving a Mercedes or driving a Lexus or Infiniti or whatever. I don't look at that person and go, man, I'm, I'm envious of you. I look at that person and think, you dummy. <laughs> like you've got, you know, you you've got uh, bills, and you probably have, you might have kids. There's going to be college someday, and you just never know. And why on earth would you spend that much money on a car when I got the Chevy Cruze and I'm kicking your ass? We I don't all, get it. We all have our vices. My wife and I like to go out to eat, so that's kind of our thing. Maybe your thing is having a six hundred dollar a month car payment. Uh, you know, if that's your thing, cool. But to, my, to each their own. My thing, you know what my thing is, and I'm so embarrassed about this. My thing is judging people. That's yeah. what I, that's what I do, because I got things that I, that people, if they knew about and do know about, could judge too. But I, but the things I don't have, I then judge you for having them. I'm I'm the worst. I suck at that. One other storyline that as we kind of transition back into the Colts after that car analogy, uh, one other storyline that that I've been thinking about this week with the Broncos coming to town. I know he's not there anymore, but um, there was a, a kind of one of your counterparts, colleagues. Uh, a longtime columnist at the Denver Post, Mark Kisla. I'm not sure if you know him or not. Oh, how could um, I not? Uh, he wrote a column last week after Denver had that really embarrassing loss to Kansas City on Thursday Night Football about how Elway needs to step away and Manning needs to take over as the new Elway and, and run the ship there in Denver. And I think that's been kind of one of these hidden storylines that we've touched on every once in a while. You know, what what is is Peyton just going to do Peyton's places forever, his TV show with ESPN, or is he going to get back into football in some capacity what do you think ultimately the future holds for Peyton Manning? Well, he'll be he'll run an NFL team someday, mm-hmm. um, and, but he's got four, and he could run any of them. You don't you're not tied to your past, but he's got four legit options. He could run the Saints because mm-hmm. the New Orleans connection. He could run the Titans someday because he played he's still a god in Tennessee, right? Yeah, he could run the Broncos, of course, and and then something happens here with the Colts. He could be here, and that's just four. And and that, and that's not to say the other twenty eight teams wouldn't hire him in a minute if they had an opening and he had an interest. Um, but you can pretty much take the Colts off the table for the near future. GMs, you know, they're not like free. They're not great players. Where well, he might leave in four years for a bigger contract. Chris Ballard's here, right? He's not. He's not getting fired, and he's not going anywhere else. No one's going to come along and money whip him and take him out of here. This is not the NBA where you can just go give a, a max contract. I mean, he's Ballard's here, and he's he's young. So Manning will be in the NFL someday, and just won't be here. 
Yeah, which is, I think a lot of fans hope that it's going to be here, but I think people need to be prepared for the fact that, like you said, Greg, he's got his legs and, and his four different his feet in four different camps, if you will, and really could go anywhere and have success. And we know the Jets may or may not have made a play for him, and, and maybe he wasn't ready for that. Also, there was that rumored fly down to Houston, Ursay meets with Gruden, Manning is there as well. Gruden is on board to become the head coach. Manning says... I'm not so sure about this. I don't want to do that. He backs out. Gruden backs out. Who knows if that's true or not true. That was, I think, after the 2017 season. Who's the most credible person that actually put their name on that? And, not, and, and if it was somebody that's not a big-time reporter, you know, don't embarrass them. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I'm just wondering, was that? I'm trying to remember. It started because somebody tracked Ursay's plane to Houston. Right. It happened to be the night of the wild card game. Right. And they put two and two together. And then I believe way after the fact, Ian Rappaport mentioned that some type of a meeting took place. No one ever put the details on it. Hey, the Colts were trying to get a Gruden-Manning brain trust together, but I believe it was Rappaport who said, hey, this this meeting happened, Ursay and Gruden, and, and they gauged Peyton Manning's interest in, okay. in making that a thing, but who knows. Then I won't crap on it entirely. That's Ian's a, I mean, he's a name that, that might know. There's a lot of folks around here, a lot of folks in the world that – that they hear stuff from somebody and they think because I heard it, it's true, and they put it on Twitter and it gets legs, and you just never know it. You're, you're, you're chasing a dog's tail, and you never know that those are just fleas. Yeah. My memory is a little hazy, so if it's not Rappaport, it was somebody who was established, Rappaport or Pelissero or uh, Schefter maybe. I, I'm not sure. I do want to say that. this, that as good as Gruden may well be, as good as Peyton Manning I'm sure will be, I, I just cannot imagine the Colts hitting it bigger than the combination of Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. I mean, I, I can't. It's that's, incredible. It's almost not fair to even wonder if it's po- that. That's honestly not possible. I mean, you. The only way it's possible is if, if if this were like a scramble in golf, and you could just go pick the best shot here and there. Go pick a best. Go pick Belichick. Maybe go pick. I don't even know who the best GM is in the NFL. Go pick those two guys. Okay, that might be better than Reich and Ballard. But as far as a, a coach GM, if you're playing your shot, there you're not going to have a shot better than this one. You're just not going to do it. Is he coach of the year, Reich? He's got to be on that short list. There's always, you know, I hate to, I don't know who else is having a great year. I don't know. But how could he not be? If this team goes 10 and 6, 11 and 5, whatever, how could he not yeah. be? And how could Bauer not be the GM of the year? And I realize it's, I always get irritated when, when one team gets all these awards. Well, they can't all be the MVP, the rookie of the year, coach of the year. Mm-hmm. They can't all be great, right? Mm-hmm. Because if, if that player's that good, then maybe the coach didn't have to be that good and so forth. But, but we're seeing it up close and personal. I'm not sure who's done a better job than either the coach or the GM here. No, it's a great one-two punch for sure. And and that's after many years of having a one-two punch in the front office and head coach that was really, uh, let's face it, lacking. I'm not I'm not trying to be mean, but... Can we talk about Chuck for just one second? Sure. Uh, I'm getting a lot of tweets from people saying, Chuck's having an impact in Chicago, and I don't know what they mean because I'm not really paying attention, but I know the Bears are 3-3 three and three and, mm-hmm. and their their points scored and against are about the same. Are people down on Chuck in Chicago? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, I think people are down on everything in Chicago. <laughs> I don't think Pagano, if you're making a list of all the things to blame, I don't think Pagano cracks the top ten. But, okay, good, good. Because uh, a lot of the Bears' problems are, are related to the offense and Trubisky and, and right. just him not making the proper steps in his development while Mahomes and Watson are taken off. Good. I, I don't want to I don't want to rain on his parade and I'm I'm happy to hear that. Okay, we can move on. But I just wonder, I was wondering is Pagano already getting vilified and I don't want I don't want that for him. While we're gushing about Reich and Ballard, um and we talked about this on on my show yesterday, um you just can't gush enough about Quit. You just wrote about him this week and and maybe uh, there might be a Colts fan or two out there that says, "Okay, enough with Quentin Nelson." But I think most people are like, "Hey, 
this guy's unbelievable. Let's keep singing his praises because he sets the tone, not just for the offense, but it, it just feels like that bulldog mentality for the whole team. Now, when when you walk to a game with the Colts and you see the jerseys, the most popular jerseys are still 18s and 12s because mm-hmm. people bought them and they cost a lot of money and they're just going to keep wearing them or they may they maybe love those guys, whatever. But if you're talking about jerseys on current players, Quentin has to be number one on this team. He's only been here a year and a half, and he's an offensive guard. That I mean, that's impossible. That does not happen. And as I wrote in that story you're referencing, and I sent a tweet out when it happened in real time because it just blew me away. I, I'm, I'm not really paying attention. They introduced either the offense or the defense one at a time through the tunnel in the dark and whatever. And yesterday, Sunday was an offense. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm, whatever I'm doing, I'm eating or I'm, I'm not paying attention. But the, the noise got different for one guy. And it was different. It was almost angry, but it wasn't angry, but it was, I mean, it wasn't angry, but it, it was kind of deeper and kind of ominous and kind of, and it was Quentin. It was the fans for Quentin just kind of started rumbling. It was just a different noise, and he's a guard. It's crazy. Uh, and to see him make at least one highlight real play every week, and he's a guard, is just insane. Like, you know, I, I'm thinking of other – the Colts have had other good gu- – Ryan Lilja was a good guard. I can't remember one specific play where I was like, damn, you see what Ryan Lilja just did? And he played in the league for like 10 years. Nelson is just – he's just on a different level seemingly than everybody else. Yeah, the only time you notice guards are when they get beat. Like, yeah. hey, who got beat for the sack? Oh, that was the guard. You don't notice them run blocking. But you notice him run blocking. He mauls people. He hits people. And this is the NFL. This is not – I mean, he's not a – a future college player destroying people at Fisher's High School. I mean, for Carmel, you know, he's, I mean, he's a, he's playing NFL players and he's just too big, strong, and mean for those guys. Like, they're, if there's another league out there somewhere else, he ought to be in that league. Yeah. Cause he is, and I said this to you yesterday and I'll say it again. He has to stay healthy, obviously, but he's a first bout Hall of Famer. I mean, he's just, I mean, there's no question. He's the surest thing possible. And yeah. he was, as a prospect, was the surest thing possible. And now he's, as a pro, has become that as well. I totally agree. Uh, I love this time of year because you've got everything kind of colliding here at once where you've got the Colts in the teeth of their season, college football's past the halfway point, uh, NBA starts tomorrow, Pacers opening up against the Pistons, and they got a big question mark out of the way yesterday, right before we had you on our show, with the Domas Sabonis extension. So now, uh, at the very least, you, you feel like you've got your quote-unquote core four here, Sabonis, Turner, Brogdon, Oladipo, all of those guys signed through 2021. What do you make of that group, and is that a good enough core four for the Pacers to contend in your mind? No, um, and I could be wrong. You know, we the thing is, none of us has any idea what's going to happen with this team with that too big line because we, we don't you don't see it anymore. Mm-hmm. And there's no really the only thing to compare it to is is a couple years ago another team kind of bucked the trend and went big. Of course, Detroit's doing it a little bit, and how good are they? Not very good. They don't, of course, they don't have Old Depot, mm-hmm. but they're not that good. Um, but they, their two bigs are both bigger than the Pacers' two bigs. And New Orleans had Davis and Cousins, and yeah, there was injuries and whatnot, but when they were together, they didn't work. For And I don't know why. Like I don't know basketball enough to know why, why, why when you have the best two players on the court, why doesn't that work? Well, if they both play, if they're both 6'11", it doesn't work. So the Pacers have, are trying that without a guy that's ever made an all-star team. And, and Sabonis and Turner are very, very good. They're very good. But they're not Drummond. Blake Griffin, they're not they're not Davis, they're not Cousins, and none of those guys have worked either. So I don't know why we think this is going to work. And I just so anyway, they they extended us a bonus, and what we're going to see is that makes him easier to trade, or it makes or it keeps him locked up, and it makes Miles easier to trade because but whatever this, this it's just not going to work. There, I'm one more thing. I'm sure they're not thinking that 
at the moment they're hoping this works. But if I'm looking in the future, someone's getting traded. Oh, I think they're. Th- I think they're thinking not that we're definitely going to trade one of these guys, but I think they're thinking, let's see if this works. Let's lock this up, and if it doesn't work, Sabonis and Turner are both on very tradable deals, so yes. we can trade one of them. So I, I do think, and and I'm not saying that because I, I think Kevin Pritchard is being you know uh, dishonest or anything like that with this. I I just think you have to protect yourself and. These contracts, if you look at the going rate of NBA players, say what you want about Miles Turner and people complain about him all the time, $18 million a year is, is more than good enough for the going rate for a guy that gives you Turner's skill set and production. And I think this Sabonis deal is going to be very team-friendly as well. So if it works, great. If it doesn't work, then you ship one of those guys and, and bring in somebody else. But I do think, and this is maybe against the grain, Greg, and, and maybe I'm just being too optimistic here. I really believe that Oladipo is going to come back, maybe not in 2020, this year. I really do think Oladipo is going to come back and, and be a frontline NBA player again, like a top 15 to 20 NBA player. So if the core around him is good enough, maybe that is good enough. Um, the problem is is that in the NBA, you, just, you have to have Kawhi Leonard, right? You have to have the guy. And are the Pacers as good as they can be ever going to have that, ever going to be a real title contender until they have the guy? The 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 whole the flaw in my theory among many is why they're not you know it didn't work in Detroit it didn't work in New Orleans why is it going to work here the the big flaw in that theory is that I mean New Orleans had I think they had Drew Holiday at the same time and he's good but Old Depot's better and Detroit you know Reggie Jackson I don't even know what they have at guard Ish Smith back for a time and that they, they don't have anything so the the the, the reason if you're a Pacers fans and you want to hope why will it work here it hadn't worked anywhere else well because Old Depot's here now he's not playing yet but he will. And Brogdon's, you know, I, I'm not sure Detroit's had a guy as good as Brogdon, and he's the Pacers' second best guard once Oladipo comes back. So, I mean, it, I'm saying it could work, but I also, I think, surely, if you had to bet money on something, what you're going to bet is that one year from now, this roster doesn't have a big one of these six eleven guys. I do think that there, this is a franchise that has, you know, culture and all that, whatever. It does have a, an, an aura of accountability where, you know, in New Orleans, you felt like it was kind of a rudderless ship. Here, if things really went south or somebody, you know, you had somebody like Boogie Cousins who was acting out or whatever else, you feel like they would nip that in the bud. But um, I'm excited about this season because I, I think the East is pretty wide open, and I don't think there's any reason to think that the Pacers, even if Oladipo only plays half the season, can't contend for one of the top five spots and, and be around where they were. Um I would just hate to see them get outclassed like they did in the first round last year to Boston. I mean, that that wasn't even a fair fight. Just like uh, I think the Colts right now, they have to be a playoff team or it's, they've let they've underachieved at this point. I, w- I wouldn't have said that six weeks ago, but here we are today. I think right now the Pacers, and we don't know what anybody else looks like in the NBA, but I think right now the over-under for them is top four in the East. And you got to be a little bit disappointed if they don't. Because um, East is that wide open, mm-hmm. and and assuming Oladipo comes back now, if, if, and I think he'll be back sooner than we think. He's already doing five on fives. It's late October. Um, I, I think mid December at the latest. I mean, that feels yeah. awfully conservative to me. I was thinking like January at some point, but nothing would surprise me with this guy. I, I think yeah. it, if there's one thing that we've learned from being around Victor Oladipo in this state is that uh, doubt him at your own peril. The, right. The, the reason, the only reason, really, to think, ah, it's just not going to happen as fast as you think. The biggest reason is the Pacers won't let him come back too soon. Mm-hmm. They they probably you know if it if it turns out it does go until late December or January. If it does, that will only be because the Pacers are deciding you're too important. We like you too much. We can sacrifice three more weeks of games. You're not playing yet. That is the only because I think he's going to think he's ready soon. 
How about them Indiana fighting Hoosiers, one win away from bowl eligibility? Hey, <laughs> good for them you for beating Maryland. It. You got to take it. You got to win a game on the road. You got to uh-huh. beat even a, a, a mediocre team. If you're pretty good, you beat that team on the road. And they, they finally, especially with Peyton Ramsey, how about that yeah. guy? I mean, how about that story? Yeah, and a great teammate, right? Because he, he kind of took it. You could have very easily just popped right into the transfer portal when you lost that job. And instead he decided, you know what, I'm going to tough it out. And good for him. Uh, and I think that that sent waves through the team as well. But I've watched Indiana lose that exact game uh, for 25 straight years. So the fact that they were able – I was waiting for Maryland to drive down the field and win it by one because that's what you've seen so often with IU football. So say what you want about Maryland. They stink. I'm, I'm not trying to make them into something that they're not. But Indiana almost always loses that game in that spot, and for them to come out with a win I thought was great. Right, when you have two average teams, whatever they might be mm-hmm. – Indiana usually is the one on the road is finds a way to be just below average and lose right and and yeah. that's part of the process is you find a way to win those games and then maybe you start winning future games are a little bit harder down the road they're not really gonna have a chance this year but I tell you what the Purdue game is not nearly not nearly the W I thought it was for IU just two weeks ago because Plummer all of a sudden is pretty good mm-hmm. David Bell is their new Rondell Moore yeah and Moore's coming back at some point we all think. And they've got all these young guys that, are, that you know, by the time, by, by game 10 or 11, yeah, they're all freshmen, but they're not freshmen in, in September. Freshmen in November, that's different. So that, I'm not saying Purdue's going to win. I'm just saying that looked like a, IU's going to win that game pretty easily. Uh, it doesn't look easy no. anymore. But Northwestern at home looks a lot easier than it did at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And they're favored at Nebraska. Crazy. <laughs> can, you imagine, nice. can you imagine those people, oh, how real. mad they must be? Oh, God. Uh, what a! Uh, I don't know what's. I don't know if I think you have to kind of accept the fact that um, Nebraska football may never be what it was. I think we're kind of coming around to that here in, in Indiana with IU basketball. Honestly, that it's never going to be that Kansas, Duke, Kentucky level. Can it get back and be you know Wisconsin? Yeah, probably, and it should be. But um, that elite level, like Nebraska, uh, racking up national championships two in a three year span. I, I think those days are long over. But they're know. they're more Maryland right now. Than Michigan, yeah. I mean, far and away more Maryland than Michigan. That's mm-hmm. an outrage. If you're a Nebraska fan, that is an out. That's like IU being more Northwestern in basketball than Michigan State. Yeah. That, I mean, that should never happen at IU. I'm, I'm not saying you got to be in a Final Four team, but you can't be Northwestern. That's crazy. Yeah. And David Bell's success is the least surprising thing in the history of surprising things. I I think, don't you? Yeah, but uh, Jeff Brom and it was Brom. I saw this. You know, the the star. We tweeted out the story with an excerpt of a quote. And the quote was, he reminds me of young Jerry Rice. And I thought, man, some Purdue you know, sophomore <laughs> said that, and, and he's going to live that down, and blah, blah, blah. So I click on the story and read it, like, oh, Jeff Brom said that. Yeah. Okay. That's a little bit surprising to say that. And and, I, and Brom was not saying that he's going to you know, lead the NFL all-time in catches and whatever it is that Rice, wherever he ranks. He's not saying that. But he's just saying this guy's that smooth and fast, and he glides, and, and he's big and strong, and he's – Got some comparisons, but even to be in the same sense with that guy, and we all know it, it's not lent, meant to be literal, but even to be thrown in the same sense by Jeff Brom, yeah. let you know how good David Bell is. Yeah, just imagine if he wasn't dealing with that hamstring injury all camp, because he was supposed to be starting behind the eight ball, and, and look at what he's done so far in just the first half of his freshman year. It's incredible. Uh, you had a, a wonderful story today. If you haven't checked it out already, IndyStar.com or the IndyStar app, which you're on right now listening to this podcast, obviously. Um, Michael Kautenmark, who is the um, – the, the handler for Butler 3 and Butler 3 himself are both going to end up retiring. But um, I, I love your sports columns too, Greg. Don't get me wrong. But I, I really feel like these sort of stories are built for Greg Doyle. I, I enjoy telling them the most, but they also stress me out. I was 
I was on your show yesterday mm. and was telling you guys that I had just finished a story that that I had been stressed out over for several days, wasn't even sleeping very well because I knew I was going to write it Monday, and I knew how important it was to me. And uh, and I think I kind of built it up to be like a bigger deal than it was. And believe me, Michael and Trip, they're a big deal. But let me put it this way, Jake. I love Jake. Jake texted me. He wanted to know, right? Oh, yeah. He asked me on the air, can you give us a teaser like prize Jake? And prize and prize and prize. He sent me a text <laughs> later and said, I know what you're writing. You got Andrew Luck to open up because it's near and dear to my heart, right? Yeah. And he knows that I've dealt with depression, whatever he goes, mm-hmm. you got Andrew Luck to open up to you on depression, didn't you? And I'm texting back like, Jake, I, you're thinking way too big. It's mm-hmm. big, but it's big to me. Um, anyway, so I, 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 Mike Calton Mark is, I, I think he's somewhat getting his due, somewhat gets his due. I mean, I know the Butler community knows him and loves him, but what he has done for that school, uh, he didn't start the program, by the way. He Butler won. That wasn't, Blue won wasn't him. Mm-hmm. But when Blue won left town, I got all these details in there about how he took over. and Blue, they, they had a niche little, they had a little mascot. Like, a lot of teams have mascots. They now have the mascot. Like, he's, if it weren't for the SEC, because it's so huge, Butler would have the bulldog, mm-hmm. the bull, and they might, they might anyway have the bulldog. And Mike and I didn't put in this story; I had too much. But he was telling me that, that there's a live mascot conference in Boulder, Colorado. He goes, and everybody was there. It's such a great quote. I should have used it just because it's so cute. He said, "Bevo was there, <laughs> Ugga was there, um, something else enormous was there. I forget what it was. Some enormous animal was there. Uh, maybe Osceola, maybe the, the horse at Florida. I forget." A bunch of stuff. Oh, the tiger from LSU maybe was there. Oh, wow. He said, but but we presented in that room. We actually gave a present, presentation, and pound for pound, we we belonged in that room. I'm like, pound for pound, <laughs> blue weighs 60 pounds of it. That was a cute little comment. But anyway, he's I mean, he's a big deal. And, and another thing I didn't put in the story is that live mascot programs around the country, both current ones, Fresno State, this happened with them the other day, and future ones, they call Butler for help. How did you do this? We want to be, be like you. Tell us the secret sauce. And Caltamark told me, and I should have put this in there, too. Again, I wrote 3,000 words, but I left out so much. He told me that he tells everybody everything they want to know because he's got no secrets, and, but also he's not afraid of anybody else overtaking Butler. He says because no one's going to have the leadership, the president, the AD, the, the, the community that we sure. have here. No one's ever going to do what we've done. I just think that the, the, the puking story at the Garden, and if I'm not mistaken, they've now banned live mascots there at the Garden ever, <laughs> ever since then. Your if, fault, if Trip. mistaken. Um, but that and and the the intros I remember at Lucas Oil Stadium for the Final Four when they in 2010 the first trip around and the players would all go and pat him on the head and all of that you right. know that you, you think of those things you remember them right away like it, trip is as synonymous with um, or I guess that would have been blue two at that point right, right. in 2010 but the, the bulldog if you will is as synonymous with uh, their success and and their branding that program as. I think Gordon Hayward or Brad Stevens or anything else. Did you know the the blue two story that that's not even that wasn't supposed to be the right dog that was the wrong dog because of your column I didn't know that beforehand I didn't know yeah. either and Michael's kind of let that slip towards mm-hmm. the end of our interview he goes and by the way that was the wrong they dog. they were brothers right they in were the brothers same litter they had yeah. the litter had three three dogs two males it was going to be a male and the breeder said I got a dog for you. he's perfect and it wasn't blue it was the other one and Michael went and saw him and played with him loved him and came back three weeks later to actually pick him up at seven weeks and that dog was gone it had gotten sick and died. And the owners, the, the the breeders, like, yeah, well, this one, will, this one will do too, and that was blue too, and but the the sweetest part of the story, and and I would have led with this, but you know, Trip doesn't care, <laughs> but it's not fair to Trip. He's retiring today, and so I wanted my introductory to the story today to be about Trip and Michael, not Blue and Michael. But the the most poignant thing I heard from Michael 
it's gonna make me cry thinking about it just because I love dogs so much. But he he went and picked up Bluetooth and had him in a crate in the back of his car and is driving him home. And that dog's crying so much. And he he pulls over in Brownsburg. He couldn't get ten miles down the road. He pulls over and puts him on his lap. And Blue sits on his lap all the way home. And it's just. One more story in the, in the in the story that's great, and there's a bunch of stories in there, but this is my other favorite one is Trip, that knucklehead. They they go on the road. They're in a hotel room. It's Michael and Evan, the guy who's going to replace Michael. Mm-hmm. And Evan's a great kid, and he's going to do great. Um, he's allergic to dogs, by the way, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Is he really? <laughs> Another fact I left out. Uh, so is Michael's wife, allergic to dogs. Wow. But as Michael said, these are the sacrifices you make. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so they, they 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 go on the road, and if 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 Evan and Michael are both in the road with Trip, they have obviously two hotel. Two hotel beds, one mm. room, two beds. Trip will sit there right between the two beds, and like he's watching a tennis match, go back and forth. Let, which bed? Which bed? He doesn't know which bed to sleep in because he doesn't want to let down the other guy. Mm. It's just awesome. That's great. It's a great relationship. Dogs are just the best. I know you have a passion for dogs with the dog walking and everything. And yeah, we have a rescue dog um, named Ollie, which is short for Oliver, and his full name is Ollivander Longpaw Schultz. <laughs> And we uh, we picked him up in Fort Wayne the weekend Super Bowl weekend when it was Broncos and, and Panthers and um, and we had dinner plans that night that we had made like two months prior so we we're like well what do we, what do we do do we just leave Ollie in the house all by himself and you know so we left him there and we came back after dinner and he was so excited that we had come back that he just flipped out and did a bunch of circles and, and all of that and and he's been such an amazing addition he was our baby before our baby we always say no one will ever love you like your dog loves mm-hmm. you not even your kids because your kids every now and then and more than that will get mad at you and <laughs> and do things that make you really really angry because you can't believe a human being would think that way dogs will never do that to you okay there are there's some headlines that are bad i get it but by and large, a dog will never do that to you, and I just, that's priceless. It's a great story. Check it out if you haven't already, uh, right here at IndyStar.com slash sports or on the mobile app. You can also go to the uh, Doyle tab and find all that at Greg Doyle Star at Schultz975, weekday afternoons on Fox Sports 1260, and we'll see you next week, Greg. Thanks. Awesome, Derek.